Did the world used to be inhabited by giants? The internet says a dude named George Hole wanted everyone to believe it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. Thank you for listening again this week. I was blown away to see that this podcast, my little side project, finally broke into the top 100 in the history category. That is huge. We made it up to 87. The next goal is making it to the top 50. And you can help me do that by, I don't know, telling your friends about it. Make a social media post or leave a review. And holy cow, top 100. That's awesome. We've got Rachel and Victor from the Wikilisten podcast coming up here in a bit. They'll be with us to play the quiz game and talk a little bit about their podcast. I also want to take a minute to formally ask you to pledge a dollar or two over at Patreon. It's the best way to show support of this podcast. You can become a tizzler for as little as $1 a month. That gets you access to all of the extras over there, like every episode ad-free and a week early, the unedited guest videos, not to mention some fun things sent to you in the mail, like show stickers. It's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. It's a super easy process to sign up and join. So for this week, we're going back to 1869. Were people more gullible back then? Maybe. But the more likely explanation is that they just didn't have enough information. Congressman Abraham Lincoln visited Niagara Falls in September of 1848. He was so moved by the falls that he started to write an essay about it. In that essay, he said the following. The eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as ours do now, end quote. And I did some research on this quote because it's often used to promote the idea that a giant species of humans once roamed the earth, and it's hard to know exactly what Lincoln was referring to. After all, just two sentences later, he references the giant bones of the mastodon and mammoth. But it's also true that it was a popular thought, specifically among the religious, that a race of giant humans once roamed the earth. And that brings us to the Nephilim. Some Christians believe that Genesis 6 refers to a race of giants in the Bible. The Nephilim of the Old Testament are described as the offspring of the sons of God and daughters of men. They're seen by some as these giants that walk the earth, by some the spawn of demons. This is the quote from scripture. This is Genesis 6-4. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown, end quote. That's the translation from the New King James Version. Other versions replaced the word giants by simply referring to them as the Nephilim. So because of this reference in the Bible, there are, even to this day, people who believe that a race of giants existed. And we're not talking about just unusually tall people. The book of Enoch in the Hebrew Bible describes the Nephilim as 300 cubits tall. A cubit is around 18 inches, so that would make them 450 feet tall. The tallest human in recorded history was Robert Wadlow. He was 8 foot 11. Wadlow died in 1940 and towered over his contemporaries whose average height was around 5'7 at the time. 8 foot 11 is 8 inches taller than anyone currently living. 
But in China in 2006, a skeleton was discovered of a young male around 18 years old who was six foot four. The skeleton, referred to as the Longshan Giant, is thought to have lived around 4,000 years ago when he would have absolutely towered over other men who in that period of Chinese history would have been between five and five and a half feet tall. In 2012, a skeleton in Rome was discovered that was six foot eight and dated back to the third century. These people likely had gigantism long before that was a diagnosis. They would have been considered giants by people in their time, but were still only a couple feet taller than the average human. No scientist has ever verified an actual giant as described in Genesis, but there are lots of people who still believe this. In the age of the internet where people believe anything if more than two other people post about it, it's treated like it's absolutely true. There have been dozens of doctored images spread across the internet. One of them which has been shared millions of times and falsely attributed to National Geographic since 2004. It shows people standing next to giant skeletons in an apparent excavated grave. In reality, it's a photo of a dinosaur dig in the 90s and they photoshopped a human skull into it. There are many of these out there. There's a popular video going around the internet that it claims to show a giant in Japan walking in a parade in 1931. The truth is that it's footage from a 2007 film, Big Man Japan. It's all fake. Well before the internet, back in the 19th century, believing in giants wasn't a strange belief at all. One of these believers was a Methodist revivalist preacher, Reverend Turk. Turk was holding a revival in Ackley, Iowa, and he was a biblical literalist. He believed that the Nephilim reference in Genesis 6 meant that it was an undeniable truth that giants used to walk on the earth. And that's where he met George Hull. George Hull was in Iowa on business. He was in the tobacco business back in Binghamton, New York, and he was an ardent follower of Charles Darwin and his theories about evolution. Hull was an atheist, and he somehow found himself at this revival with Reverend Turk. The two began to argue about the existence of giants, and Hull left completely dejected. The revival was full of fellow believers, and he felt like he was talking to a wall as he was unable to convince any of them to his point of view. He essentially lost the argument. He was angry that people could be, in his eyes, so gullible. Traveling home to New York, George got the idea that he would have the last laugh. He was going to conduct one of the greatest hoaxes in history, one that is still talked about to this day. We'll tell you all about the Cardiff Giant after this break. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month, 
Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. The Internet Says It's True is happy to be sponsored by The Power of the Streak. This is an easy-to-read book by author Kara Wood with the best idea yet for consistent exercise and staying motivated over time. That part I read, this part I'm telling you from the heart, I struggle with working out regularly. You know, I'll go back, I'll start exercising, and then I'll stop after a couple of weeks, or I'll go a week and a half, and then I'll stop. And I learned that I'm not the only one who this happens to. So Kara has a similar story. Kara was, you know, basically without motivation for years, and she was able to find that formula that got her to flip the switch, and she hasn't looked back. She actually has been able to stick with it through uh, the methods that she teaches in her book. So she tells her story of starting and keeping a running streak for 12 busy years while having a demanding career, two kids. I mean, she has the the secret to, to exercise no matter what. Her story is funny, it's relatable and inspiring, and she explains to you how you can do the same thing with any exercise. And it doesn't have to be running, which is hard on your knees and hurts your feet. And this isn't just the internet saying it's true. Even a cynic will leave feeling motivated, inspired, and excited to commit once and for all to long-lasting exercise and fitness. The book is called The Power of the Streak by Kara Wood, and it's available in all formats where books are sold. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you can also get the audiobook on iTunes and Audible. So make sure, you know, you, you learn all about this. Go pick up the book. You can also follow The Power of the Streak on Instagram. It's just at The Power of the Streak and Twitter, Power of Streak. I think that you will enjoy it. It was 1868, and George Hull was angry that so many people at the revival he attended believed this notion that there were a race of giants that lived on the earth. What he was really angry at was that people would believe anything they heard without scientific proof. He had an idea that he could also make them believe what he wanted. He found a man in Fort Dodge, Iowa, named H.B. Martin to help him with his project, though Martin didn't know what Hall was up to. Hall didn't want to risk being turned down, so he told Martin that he was intending on sculpting a monument to memorialize Abraham Lincoln. This was believable. The wounds of the Civil War and President Lincoln's assassination were still fresh, Martin quarried a five-ton block of gypsum in Iowa and had it sent by rail to Chicago, where Hull had arranged for a sculptor to be a part of his hoax. Edward Burkhart was a stonecutter in Illinois who was sworn to secrecy. According to Barbara Franco's 1969 book, The Cardiff Giant, A Hundred-Year-Old Hoax, Burkhart was so careful to keep the carving a secret, he actually constructed walls of blankets around the working area to keep nosy listeners from hearing the sculptor's hammer and chisel work. Burkhardt had hired Henry Sal and Fred Mormon to actually sculpt the block into the appearance of a giant petrified man. So now Hall, Burkhardt, Sal, and Mormon were all in on the ruse. They used a photo of Hall himself as a model to sculpt the giant. It was anatomically correct and even had pores in the skin made from needles. When it was done, the giant was 10 feet 4.5 inches tall and weighed 2,990 pounds. 
Hull wanted it to look ancient, so he soaked the giant in a series of stains and acids. When it was finished, it was shipped to New York, but Hull didn't want it too near his home in Binghamton, so he had it sent to his cousin's farm in Cardiff, about 60 miles north. His cousin, William Newell, was now in on the hoax as well. Hull, Burkhart, Sal, Mormon, and Newell, all in on it. Newell and Hull buried it laying down, face up, in a giant pit, covered it up, and left it there for a year. They even went through the trouble of wedging it under tree roots to make it look like it had been there before the trees. Hull returned to Binghamton and left the giant alone for a year. After that year, in 1869, it was time for the plan to start unfolding. He instructed his relative to, quote, resurrect the giant. Newell hired some unsuspecting laborers to dig a well in his property out near the barn. Newell was specific to indicate exactly where the well should be dug. It didn't take long for these men to come across the giant. And on that night, October 16th, one of them yelled, quote, I declare, some old Indian has been buried here, end quote. They left the giant where he was, lying in the ground with mounds of shoveled dirt now crowning his burial place. Word spread throughout the tiny town of Cardiff and then beyond. Journalists came from all over to report on the phenomenon. Many were amazed. Some were skeptical, like this newspaper report I found. Quote, The Stone Giant, the Cardiff or Onondago Giant, is the great sensation just now of the country press. It is a rudely sculptured figure of a man found deeply embedded in the earth. Some say it is a petrifaction, which is sheer nonsense. Some say it's a bit of sculpture chiseled by a person of ancient times. Others, any that the chiseling was done lately by some Welsh artist in the neighborhood who buried the figure here a few years. The men of science are fretting their wits over it." End quote. It's important to know what was going on in this part of New York at the time. That part of New York was known as the, quote, burned over district, and that referred to this time of tons of religious revivals that were taking the area by storm, and it was called that because supposedly the spiritual fervor was so intense that it was taking like fire to the area and spreading. This was a local public that was just itching for more and more proof of literal biblical evidence. So their BS detectors were set to minimal. The public loved it. The only ones to view it for free were the ones who got there that first day. After that, Newell charged 50 cents a head to view it and covered the area with a white tent. That's the equivalent of about $11 a ticket in today's money. He made a lot of money. And he made the town a lot of money, too. Cardiff area restaurants and hotels were full of people who had come from all over to see the buried, petrified giant. Something like 2,500 people viewed the giant that first week. Newell basically made a year's salary in that one week. On top of that, a syndicate of businessmen ended up purchasing a 75% stake in the giant and paid Newell $30,000. At this point, scientists started coming to examine the oddity. Now, some of them were already prone to believe the giant theory, but it didn't make sense because it was obvious that the thing was tested and made out of gypsum. So then the scientists believe it had been carved, but carved a long time ago. One geologist, John Boynton, who examined it, determined that it had been carved by a traveling Jesuit to impress the local Native Americans, and it had been carved 100 to 200 years ago. In other words, the staining worked to fool the expert. A Cornell scientist determined that it was a bit too coincidental for the well to be dug exactly where this thing was buried. There was no other good reason to dig a well there. A paleontologist from Yale determined 
There's no way the statue would have fresh chisel marks the way it did if it had been buried for many years. He correctly determined it was made fairly recently. But those were the scientists. The public, especially local evangelists, fiercely argued that the thing was real. They didn't care about the science. They wanted to believe in it. And that's how it stayed so popular despite the experts debunking it. Once the Cardiff giant was sold, it was moved and put on display in Syracuse, New York. One of the men who had been in the group that purchased the giant spoke about it with a famous quote that's been misattributed to P.T. Barnum. Maybe you already know the quote. P.T. Barnum didn't say this. His name was David Hannum. He said, there's a sucker born every minute. Now, Barnum was involved in this story. He offered to buy the giant for 50 grand. They refused. So he had someone build him one of his own. His fake Cardiff giant, and that's what he called it, the Cardiff giant, toured with the circus. So how did the truth come out? Well, it only lasted about a month before the real story emerged. On December 10th, 1869, George Hall came forward and told the public about his hoax. He ended up having to prove it in court as there was this court case revolving around P.T. Barnum's copying of the giant. It was then that Hall explained why he made it, that he wanted to show that people would believe anything, and he explained to the court about the revival and how he left angry. The Cardiff Giant stuck around for quite a while. It was displayed in the 1901 Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, and after being sold around a bit, it ended up in the Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown, New York, where you can still see it today. And if you want to see P.T. Barnum's version, it's still displayed at a weird little oddities museum called Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum in Farmington Hills, Michigan. There are multiple other replicas that claim to be the real Cardiff Giant, but those are the ones that are from this real story. So yes, there's a sucker born every minute, as David Hannum said, and you can trust me, because the internet says it's true. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. And today I'm calling Rachel and Victor from the Wikilisten podcast. It's a daily podcast that teaches you tidbits about literally everything. Every day is a different topic and they sort of do a deep dive on it. Hello, welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Michael, so happy to be here, you know. <laughs> Me as well. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I, I looked at uh, I looked at your podcast and listened to a little bit of it, and uh, I think people who listen to this show will also enjoy your show. Um, you know, it's people with a thirst for knowledge and interesting trivia and things like that. I tend to find topics that are a little bit weird, and today's is no other. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of your stranger topics later on in the podcast. But what does your production schedule look like? How much? I can't imagine what goes into a daily podcast. I know how much it ta- how much time it takes me to put on this show every week. How? When do you get together? How do you have the time? We block it out. We have a couple of recording sessions per week, and um, you know, get seven episodes done during that time. In the production, it's usually called gang shooting, but it's mm-hmm. it's basically we record multiple episodes back to back. And where are you joining me from? New York. Uh, yep, we're both in New York. You're we both- actually live in the same neighborhood in Queens. That's fantastic. And how did you meet each other? Well, I'll let <laughs> Rachel take that one. Yeah, so uh, it was June 2019, and Victor was producing this show called The NYC Talent Show, and um, it happened to be live the day I moved here, and I was like, let me go check it out. And um, 
ever since then we've become friends and, and co-hosts. Well, let's mm-hmm. move into uh, let's move into our, our quiz today. And for this first question, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you have to tell me a joke, just a street joke, clean street joke, anything you want. Here is your question. George Hull became famous for one of the greatest hoaxes to convince people that a race of giants used to roam the earth. Which one of these did he create? Was it A, a giant 40-inch wooden shoe to create fake footprints in the snow, B, a 10-foot stone giant buried in the ground, or C, he built a rough cabin in the woods with 20-foot doors and 30-foot ceilings? Uh, which one of us would you like to answer first? You can, you can troubleshoot it together. I think it's A. The wooden shoes. It, How about you, Victor? I I think it's I think it's definitely the stone giant in the ground. The stone giant. I feel like the statue is too impractical. A ten foot stone giant buried in the ground. What do you think, Victor? I think that it. I think it's a ten foot stone giant buried in the ground. <laughs> All right. Who are we going with? Rock paper scissors. We can go with uh, Rachel's answer. All right, Rachel. The answer. A ten foot stone giant buried. In the ground is the is the answer. Oh no! Uh, and you're right. Sorry. It was I, I heard the, I heard this story before. Okay, there you go. Because I, I like weird facts. There so. you go. Um, well, if you knew for a fact, you should have. You know, you should said that. I would have gone with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like I like to see how your logic always leads you astray. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a ten foot stone giant buried in the ground. Uh, it's true. So it was in in when this was is makes it even crazier. This was in 1868. So uh, it took this guy was bored. Yeah, he was. What he was trying to do was troll uh, people who were very a lot of religious people in the day thought that there was a race of giants. It goes back to a passage in Genesis, and um, he had gone to a revival and basically gotten in an argument with this preacher and when he left you know he was badly defeated in the argument because he was just surrounded by you know people at a revival and it would be like me going to like asbury college where there's a revival happening now and saying god isn't real and like how would that make me feel i would leave you know basically feeling like i didn't convince a single person um he left and he said i'm going to make a fool of them by hoaxing them and uh he had uh, some stone carvers in chicago carve this giant stone statue of a man. <laughs> he had it rail shipped by rail to his cousin's farm and buried for a year. He and is so petty. Yeah, no, it's very petty, but it ended up making him <laughs> and the town a lot of money. I'm sure. Um, and it was a while. I mean, it was, I think it was probably a month before I was trying to find newspaper articles of when they first debunked it. And it seems like it was discovered in, November and by the end of November scientists were coming out and saying no this is this was definitely carved by by someone <laughs> um, so all right well do you have a joke Rachel any sort of uh, popsicle stick joke I sure do awesome what do you call a bunch of balloons in a bathroom oh I don't know this one what do you call a bunch of balloons in a bathroom a birthday potty <laughs> I love it <laughs> Do you? Uh, no, it's, it's a great kid's <laughs> joke, Victor said. Do you, or are you just trying to be nice? Uh, I did prepare a joke for this week in case you got that one right. Um, and, and Victor did get this one right. So we'll say, uh, we'll say my joke too. Two hunters were out in the woods and they got lost. After a while, they decided they were going to have to make camp for the night. 
While looking for a place to settle down, they came across a giant green monster. And after a struggle, they managed to kill the beast. But a time goes by and one of them says, I'm pretty hungry. Do you think we could eat this monster? And the other replies, I don't know. It looks pretty unappetizing, but I'm hungry. So let's give it a try. They build a fire and they cook some. And after a while, one is brave enough to take a bite. The other hunter says, well, how is it? The first hunter then replies, eh, it's mediocre. It's mediocre. The measly giggle that that got from Victor is anything that that was worth. Uh, Just barely (laughs) registering on the humor scale. All right, let's move on to question two. For this question, we're going to play for an audio Easter egg. Here's what that means. If you get it wrong, you've got to find a way to insert something of my choosing as an audio Easter egg in your next podcast that you record. If you get it right, I'll insert that same thing into mine. And the thing I choose this week are any lyrics from Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. So if you can work some <laughs> lyrics from Baby Got Back... You like, don't even or, have to ask me to insert yeah, it. Yeah, we'll just do If you can find a way to do it like organically, you know, so it's not just like, and here are some lyrics to Baby Got Back, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Bonus points for that. So here's your question. The tallest human to live in recorded history was Robert Wadlow. He was 8 foot 11. Which one of these was the shortest? A... Chandra Dangi from Nepal at 21 inches, B, Tom Thumb from America at 40 inches, or C, Austerity Tenors from New Zealand at 22 inches. Now, this is one of those things I would not expect anyone to know, and so it's, it's going to be a guess, but it was either Chandra Dangi from Nepal, Tom Thumb from America, or Austerity Tenors from New Zealand. I think it's A. A, Chandra Dangi. What do you think? Uh, I really don't know. Um, I wish I did. I I knew the other one because I I have an affinity for hucksters in history. I yeah. like I like con men. I think it's really funny. Um, but I, this one I have no idea. But I'm gonna say Tom Thumb. Why? Because it's the only thing that is vaguely familiar. All right. And how, uh, how many inches was A again? A was 21 inches. B was 40 inches. Austerity tenors from New Zealand, 22 inches. Um, that doesn't mean that they're all real or that I didn't make all this up. One of them is the real one. I mean, Tom Thumb, I think, might also just be a fictional fictional character. That's I'm what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I like. I feel like Tom Thumb was fake, but I'm also not totally sure. So that's why I don't think it's Tom Thumb. Although statistically, I'm going to say number three. I'll tell you why. Because uh, the last one was uh, B was the answer to the last one. So I don't think you'd you'd pack two two B answers back to back. Unless you knew that I thought you would think that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's dizzy. I have it's, done we're it. Doing, we're doing Prince's Bride. That's right. <laughs> All right. So we, uh, we final answer was Rachel's last time. How about this one? I'll, I'll take my uh, uh, three, the third one. Third so one? Final answer. Rachel, yep. you good with that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, the answer was Rachel's answer this time. Chandra Dangi. The answer was uh, was Chandra Dangi from Nepal, 21 inches. Um, wow. Tom Thumb was an actual person. He was 40 inches tall. Um, Tom, oh. Tom Thumb, of course, was not his name. He toured with the uh, with the Barnum and Bailey Circus and became very rich for a short time. Um, and then C, Austerity Tenors, is a name that I just made from an anagram from the name of this podcast. Not a real person. 
Um, that is austerity tenors anagrams to internet oh, says true. No. <laughs> by an anagram. Did you did you just say that Tom Thumb was wealthy for a short time? Oh boo. Boo. You can use that for your joke for the first one if you want to replace that. Um I should remember it because I just talked about Tom Thumb a few weeks ago uh, on the podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, Tom Thumb was was made to be very wealthy, became a millionaire and then squandered it all away on uh, basically on booze and bad purchases. So bad investments. <laughs> Poor Tom Thumb. Uh, turns out the life of a, of a circus performer, not all that stable. Uh, question three. And oh, for this one, we get to play for a sticker. So if you get it right, you get a sticker. Here's what that looks like. Um, it's, wow. uh, it's three inches square and the back is sticky. That's what makes All it right. a sticker. The, I like a good sticker. That's Me right. Too. Now, so this giant that we were talking about, uh, they, they call the Cardiff giant because it was, uh, it was in Cardiff, New York. The Cardiff giant that George Hall created was made of pure gypsum. Which one of these is a popular use for gypsum? A, clotting blood. B, making plaster of Paris, or C, making dog food? I'm going to say clotting blood. Clotting blood for Victor. How about Rachel? Uh, see, I was going to go with B. Plaster of Paris. I think we're back to uh, to Rachel's choose for this one. You want to stick with yours, Rachel, or you want to do to Victor's? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so gypsum. Floxum and gypsum were the names of Ursula's pet eels and a little mermaid <laughs> okay 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 we're bringing that in i'm listening okay okay and then she was a she was a witch okay um so i bet floxum i bet i bet gypsum is uh yeah i mean it it, it makes it I, I guess it has uh more to do with uh hmm I will say, uh, if if this is yeah. the only clue you need for this, it's a, it's a rock. It's yeah, a yeah. Rock. No, you, so, I knew it was yeah. a rock. Uh, all yeah. of these it was carved are from a rock. Ground rock potential things. It's carved from a rock, but I mean, yeah. so plaster of Paris would make sense. But also, if it is something that you use that hardens, and maybe uh, clotting blood would also make sense. But, but I would what? No, go on. But I would guess that maybe it's plaster of Paris. But what is plaster of Paris? Is that real? Is that a real thing? It is a real yeah. thing. It's basically like a cat, like an like what they used to make casts out of. Um, oh, yeah. They used to dip. They used to dip cloth or cloth or paper in this substance and wrap it around things and it would harden. We used to oh, do it we like used paper to, mache. Yeah, it's it's like paper mache. Yeah, we used to make paper mache masks, and it's basically plaster of Paris that you use to to do that. Um, you know, we used to make like you blow up a balloon. Put the paper mache over the balloon, and then when you deflate the balloon, you've got something that can like fit on your head. Well, wait, okay. So gypsum is a really it's a really soft rock, right? I do not know the answer to that. I feel like it's one of those rocks that's like really soft, and that's why I feel like it would be plaster. All right, we're going with B. Plaster You're going with Paris. B. Yep. The answer is B, making plaster of Paris. You got that one yeah. right. Oh my god, we get a sticker. You get stickers. I will. I will mail these stickers to New York, and you can stick them on. I don't even know what. You can stick them on water bottles, phone poles, whatever you want. Whatever. Oh, you I'm want. so excited. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations on that one. Now it's time for question four, and for this question, we're playing for something very special. We're playing for permission to release the memory 
of something that bothers you from the past. So if you get it right, I will grant you personal permission to stop carrying it around inside your head. If you get it wrong, uh, I'm granting myself that same permission. Cardiff, New York, the location of George Hole's hoax giant, was named after a town of the same name in which one of these United Kingdom locations? Was it A, England, B, Wales, or C, Scotland? I think it's Wales. Rachel says Wales. What about you, Victor? Um, I don't think it's Wales. I'm trying to remember if it's England or Scotland because I I know the name Cardiff. I'm trying to remember which country it was associated with. How Cardiff. sure are you, Rachel? England. On a, England, on a, England, on a percentage scale, how sure are you that it's Wales? 75. 75. Victor, how sure are you it's England? Uh... 50, because I think it might be Scotland. So I'm going to say England. Oh, so you're you're 50 that it's England. And what 50, would you be? 50. 50, 50. I okay. I think it's England or Scotland. I think, we default, I think we default to Rachel's also, because I want you to get this right. It is Wales. Oh, it is it Wales. It is Wales, what? yes. Cardiff is the largest city and the capital of Wales. And it's also probably one of the only Welsh cities with a name I can pronounce. I watch um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of documentaries and reality TV on YouTube that is based around that area of the world. So you all are two for two so far. And this is the final question. And this one is for all the marbles. If you get this one wrong, I'm banning you from the show. Never to be asked on again. If you get it right, I'd be happy to to have Wiki listen back on the show. Uh, and I'm this one, I'm going to uh, ask each one of you separately. So you'll each get your answer for this. Oh, okay. This is uh, open-ended. This is an essay question. So we'll go with Victor first. What's the most interesting piece of history or knowledge you've learned from doing your podcast? Uh, well, it's one of my favorite pages, which is, uh, which is the, uh, the dancing plague, where um, I believe it was like 1518, someone started dancing feverishly and people were like, why is this person dancing? And then other people caught it and started dancing too. And they started dancing until some of them died. And if people <laughs> tried to stop them from dancing, they would get violent. And it was a dancing, it's a dance, it was mania. It was, it was a dancing plague. Yeah. I have researched this a little bit because I want, this has been on my list and I haven't, I haven't done an episode on it. I did do an episode about a, a different contagion where ladies started walking with a limp to, um, to be fashionable and cool. Um, a little bit of a different thing. <laughs> it wasn't more, it wasn't like an in the moment thing. But the reason that I have trouble with the dancing plague is that I, I can't find that experts or historians have agreed on a reason that it happened. Yeah, um, um, it is. It is like I don't think anybody has like figured out exactly why it happened, why it was contagious, and uh, and then why it it was frequent for a while and then seems to have stopped yeah now there were when I, I was doing an episode about the plagues and some things a few weeks ago and there were some stories that talked about when people were afflicted with the plague that it affected their nervous system and made them twitchy and dancing and that so there are some some attributions to the plague there are also attributions to just mass you know just this idea of it's sort of like mass hypnosis, like contagion. It's similar right. to what's happening in the revival. I, I mentioned earlier in Asbury, like, you know, and when a big group of people starts doing something, you sort of fall in and do it. 
So wonderful answer. That's a correct answer. Rachel, how about you? What's like the most interesting? Yeah. Can you is there is there one particular episode or fact or, or piece of knowledge that you remember from your podcast that really stuck with you? Oh, for sure. Um, the most correct way to hang your toilet paper is over. Is over. And why what's cor- like what the, the use of the word correct is doing some heavy lifting here now. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, is that meaning the way that it was intended to be used, the way that most people do it? It's the way it was intended to be used, according to the illustrations in the patent. Ooh, interesting. I cannot imagine a world in which it would hang under against the wall. It seems wrong and Mm -hmm. not as efficient. Um, Are you both hanger over people? No, I have I have cats, so mine is under. Oh, for a different reason. It's under so that the cats don't think it's a toy. Exactly. Never heard that before. Cats will pull your toilet paper off uh, the entire roll. <laughs> well, see, my cats, my cats never did that. So it sounds like your cats are just extra unruly. I, I think Rachel's cats are just familiar with the original patent drawings is the thing. Mm-hmm. And they know that this is the way it's supposed to be and don't touch it. Rachel, is your cat alive? Neither of them are currently alive. Exactly. Oh, this Okay, they're just not pulling dark. anybody's toilet paper. <laughs> Boo. This that was the meanest thing I think you have and ever said to me. Hey, the you're calling my cat's names about okay? dead cats. You're calling my cat's names. And I, I said your cats truth. are a little bit unruly, and you're over here like, hey, reminder, your cats are dead. How dare you call my cats unruly? How <laughs> dare you dare remind you? me of my dead cats? Well, I mean, I don't know about unruly. How, how could but I not remind? How, if, I'm sorry, please. If Go your on. toilet paper hung over the top, maybe they would be, is what we're saying here. Uh, I did see recently that there's a big discrepancy in terms of it's not like a 50-50 thing. Um, by a lot, uh, more people hang the toilet paper over the front, over the, the top uh, than, than on the back. So, they do, they do. Um, and also, uh, Rachel has a rabbit that is alive and well. Yes, so, that's true. How it, does your rabbit feel it. about toilet paper? Um, if given the opportunity, she will chew it up. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you're both, uh, I would be happy to have you back on the podcast. Those are two right answers. And, oh, we made uh, it. And, yeah, absolutely. You went the three for five. And uh, if you want to listen to the Wikilisten podcast, please check it out. Uh, you can go to wikilisten.com and at wikilisten.com, there's a link that'll take you to their their podcast on the client of your choice. Wherever you're listening to this, you can just search for Wikilisten and find it every day. Uh, what do you have coming up? Any exciting episode coming up this week? Absolutely. Uh, what for is this? Sure. What is coming up this week? I mean, we so have a whole we're schedule. On the, this, this goes out on the 27th. Let's oh. see. Yeah, let's look in our thing. Oh, by the way, whatever you're listening on right now, you can just search for Wikilisten on whatever you're listening on. You don't even have to go to our website. Yeah. Just search for Wikilisten and it'll pop right up. So this is coming out on February 27th. Uh, well, today, actually, we had special guest Sherry Antoine help us read the page for Jerry Lawson, who was an engineer. And tomorrow... Uh, we have an episode coming out about coffee table books. And then finally, the day after, you get to learn all about the the paint that is so black that it's just darkness. Vanta Black. Oh. There's a great story about Vanta Black in that the artist that came up with it is like gatekeeping it. And it's a whole big thing that artists are very angry about. Really? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's true. And someone came out with a pinker than pink pink 
uh-huh. as a as a um, <laughs> sort of as a thumb in the nose to to the I don't know what the artist is that that did the Vanta Black thing, but uh, and you can buy that, and then he raises it money, and uh, it's uh, the whole thing is just to uh, you know anger the the guy that owns Vanta Black. I want to point out that the the episode that's out today, um, which is is it Jerry Lawson, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. So he is the creator of the video game cartridge, which oh. is amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, the, yeah. I did the, an episode the original... about the creator of the video game, which is way before a console or a cartridge. Mm-hmm. It was yep. just a one machine. You know, it was just one machine in a science lab just to bring people into the lab. Very far from from that. So that's going to be really interesting. Um, did I'm you curious... talk about the first iteration of a video game in that where like they were just like they would they would just try and see who could get the computer to like start and stop the fastest that was like well, the first i don't know but if i don't i mean it's been a while since i did that episode but what i remember it being was a tennis game that was based on or they, what the technology they used was whatever technology people used to target missiles on an oscilloscope was what they used to create this tennis game so um you know it would it would it would just map a, tra- a trajectory a, a potential trajectory of a missile and they said well that could be a tennis ball and then we'll make it go back and forth. And that was that. Was that. And it, it Oh, that's very, really so, interesting. Yeah. So Pong is a result of war? Essentially, it is. And, and the man who invented it also worked on the Manhattan Project. Yeah, the, his uh, name is Willie most, Higginbotham, which I think is a, a wonderful name. Uh, most technological advances are due to either war, yeah. video games, or uh, adult entertainment. Ooh, I, I didn't know about the adult entertainment part, but I knew, yeah, I mean, war and video games, uh, absolutely. And, and video games are are pretty much what's driving the ability for people to be trained on how to fly drones now. So, yep. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for the military because they invented the Internet. So there you go. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful week and I can't wait to listen to these future episodes. It was my absolute pleasure to be here. Both of us, I think. I, yeah. I'm not going to speak for Le- Rachel. Sorry. <laughs> my wife's name is Leslie. Sorry. <laughs> well, Victor, I wish the best to you and your cats. Rachel, you and your rabbit. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll talk to you sometime soon. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you so much to Rachel and Victor from the Wikilisten podcast for being my guests. Here's a sped up voice of a Nephilim giant. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under fair use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts. And you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent.